0: You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Putnam, and I'm joined today with Coach Joe Hart. He is a level four all-star cheerleading coach, and he is also the go-to guy if you're looking to make some side hustle money Uh, so Joe I want to thank you for coming on the show brother hey man
1: Jeff I appreciate the uh, invite I've been looking forward to it since we booked it a couple weeks ago and you know during existing times you know I was really looking forward to it
0: yeah well nobody else has anything else to do but sit and listen to us
1: yeah it's a good problem to have I think
0: yeah you know we're definitely worth looking at yeah Uh, so, uh, so you're in New Jersey, right? Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately. Everybody I've ever talked to in New Jersey always says, yeah, it's Jersey. No, I've never met anybody except for like the extreme Guido guys who are just excited about being in Jersey.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Um, my wife's from Jersey, and uh, we met when we lived in Florida. And um, when we were getting ready to get married, she moved up probably like, almost a year before we got married to start working up here. Cause we, I agreed that, you know, we can move up there and be closer to our family. Um, not a big deal. I'll go wherever, um, just to try something new. And I told my dad, I said, Hey, the wedding's going to be in New Jersey. We're going to live up there for a couple of years and then decide what we want to do. And he goes, you know what they say about New Jersey? And I said, I don't know what he goes. Someone's got to live there. And I, was like, <laughs> well, I guess that someone's me. So
0: yeah, somebody has to.
1: Yeah
0: uh now so um you're 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 up there in your coaching all-star cheerleading right what is that like is to me you know everybody like we were talking about before maybe kind of thinks this is like the sideline pom-poms football game and then you know it's on an entirely different level this is mega competitive right
1: yeah so this this whole like coaching tumbling and cheerleading kind of started um, i believe my sophomore year of college my freshman year i decided to try out cheer because they were looking for guys at uh the college I was going to and i thought it was a great way to meet girls so well, yeah like, oh, let's, let's try it so uh, but over the course of that year i ended up like really liking the physicality it's a it's a serious workout for anyone who doesn't um You know really understand what it is i mean my job was to literally just toss human beings above my head and hold them so that to me was fun um but i end up like really enjoying the 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 physical aspect of it and so i started to learn how to tumble myself and then i started to learn how to coach really basic skills which kind of started my coaching career and um now we're here 11 years later i'm still coaching um i've run the tumbling program at the gym that I coach at, and then I also uh, coach a level four team and then help out with some of the other teams as well. So it keeps me busy. It's, um, you know, I grew up playing baseball, so it's completely different. um, Yeah. What I was used to doing, Um, but I think what I enjoy most, especially about the whole competitive cheer side is you have two and a half minutes for a routine, if something goes wrong, like you're not gonna win, that's end of story. Um, It takes each individual member, whatever their skills are and whatever their job is to do in that routine, they all have to do that to a T. There's no like football where you can have a crappy first half and come back and win second half. If you have a bad beginning part of your routine, that's it. You know, you're not gonna get anywhere. So that's what a lot of people I think um, don't understand necessarily about it. But, um, you know, I think it's starting to get more recognition, especially with the um, Navarro Cheer had that series on uh, Netflix. And, you know, some people see it on TV every once in a while. So it's starting to make a name for itself. Um, the sport is huge. People have no idea how big it is. It is a massive, massive in- industry. Um I mean, some of the competitions we go to have twenty to 25,000 athletes at them. So, wow.
0: It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it's not something you see a lot of mainstream, but to me it's no different than, you know, I live down here in South Carolina, and lacrosse has only recently become a thing down here. Right. And now we've got all these high-level 4a and 5a high schools picking it up colleges are picking it up a little bit i mean i guess the colleges have always had it but it's never garnered that much attention when the high schools started uh kind of incorporating that into their athletics program it really kicked off right and i've noticed down here a lot of the high schools are starting to do competitive cheer and it's i guess it's and because I don't know enough about it, it's more of like a mix between cheer and gymnastics and just, right, like the karate kid type scenario. You got one shot, you know, right, and it's over. But it, I, I've seen a lot of it start to kind of pick up around here. So it's definitely growing. So that's it's a lot of pressure on someone. Uh, you've got young athletes you know, and what are the age ranges of your team i mean i'm I'm assuming they're probably topping out around seventeen
1: um yeah, so really the the whole at least the the all star cheerleading you can be anywhere from the age of three to eighteen, and actually, depending on how your birthday falls, you can technically be nineteen during a season um the team that I coach, most of them are um. 13 to 18 um but it also goes not just by level but age group so i coach a senior level four team so they got to be above the age of 10 under the age of 18 and um obviously they have level four skills what falls into that type of category but then i also you know help out with uh, a youth team and a and a lower level senior team um it all just you know from the outside looking in People think it's just like random kids put on random teams and they go do this routine but it's really um it's a year-round thing um we don't have a break um during normal times the only break they have is maybe a week or two after the season ends to prepare for tryouts and then we start summer practice so it's a year-round thing there's no break
0: yeah you know that's i think that's good i think more sports should be like that though especially for young kids and these, you know, young adult athletes, you know, they they have an off season and yeah, I get it. They need to break, they need to rest. But from my understanding, what it is that you do and your athletes do that you coach, it requires an intense amount of dedication and discipline. Right. And that starts to slip if you actually have like an extended off season. Right. You know, between Uh, I don't know the months for football, I'm assuming it's like February and August, there is a gap. And of course they have their training through there and you might have a few exhibition games and scrimmages, but then you're not, you don't have that, that pressure to perform at the top level. So, I mean, has that that ever been kind of an issue with any of your athletes or, you know, do they How do you get them, I guess is what I'm trying to say, how do you get them to adjust to that level of constant pressure?
1: I think it just really, it actually starts when we're not competing. So it starts in the summer um, because typically we don't start competing until this December and it goes through middle of May. Mm -hmm. Um, So we practice during the summer and it's more of basic skills that, you know, will be bare minimum requirements for that level for what, will be in the routine. Usually in September to sometimes early October, we have our choreographer come and do our whole routine. So they give us um, pretty much the shell of what they need to be doing, the skills they're doing, um, the dance, all that stuff. I'm not a dance person, so like you're not gonna catch me trying to teach a dance. Um, So really it starts in the summer, building that stamina, building the physicality, building the team and being able to support each other because once you get the routine and you start practicing the elements of the routine, it's game on. You don't really have, I mean, two to three months sounds like a lot of time to people, but you know, it it flies by and before you know it, you're, you're on the floor for the first time for that season and you're crossing your fingers, just hoping they can remember something. And, um, yeah. Um, as a coach, it's easy to be confident in practice and, you know, leading up to competition because you have control of the practice. You can say, okay, we're going to do that again. We're going to do this 10 times. We're going to run through this routine twice or five times, whatever it may be. But as a coach, when you go to put them out there, you get done with warmups, they go onto the floor. You have no control over anything anymore. And that's where I feel the most pressure. Um, It's not a lack of trust in the athletes because they're obviously on that team for a reason. It's a, um, lack of having control of what can happen for myself. So, um, but you know, we, we, we had a great year so far and, um, it's been a heck of a ride and, uh, I enjoy it. I don't ever plan on stopping anytime soon. It takes up a lot of my time, but luckily my wife's understanding cause I'm, you know, normal time. I'm at the gym six days a week. And most of the time it's at night. So, um, and then we compete on the weekends and travel. So it takes up a lot of time, but I enjoy it. Um, and, uh, you know, miss it right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, I figure you guys aren't allowed to group up and start grabbing and throwing each other right, right about now. Right. Um, no, and I, I totally get what, you, what you're saying with as soon as you lose control of the situation, that's when you feel the most pressure because you can't control the outcome of it. And it's kind of the same for me with, with my kids, especially, um, my two oldest ones that live in the house right now, which are sons number three and four. Uh, they're both going to graduate this year, one mm-hmm. next month, uh, and our next whatever in May and then one in December. And then I got to be hands off for the most part. And I just got to hope that the training that I gave them up until then is enough. Right. You know, but I'm more concerned about what their pressure is, you know, or is that ever something has been an issue with your athletes? Uh, Do they adjust to that level of pressure fairly well? Do you have anything kind of, you know, in place to help them with that?
1: Um, They do. I mean, we have a, you know, some of them are superstitious. So we do certain things the same exact way when we go through warm-ups at competition. Um, we always all pray together in a circle and then I give them a pep talk and it goes along the lines of, um, listen guys, I don't really give a rat's ass who's in, who's in your division. You just need to go do this, this, this. I mean, it's the same talk every single time, but they want that um, consistency of the same routine before they go out and do theirs. Um, I have handshakes with some of the kids. So like we, you know, all sorts of stuff that goes on. And, um, you know, we just go out there and hope for the best. You know, some days, like the first half of the season, it didn't turn out great a lot of comps. They had a lot of mistakes and um, they had a lot of pressure on themselves. We pushed them really hard at practice. And then when we went to Atlanta to compete they had two perfect routines, back-to-back days, and they got second place by five one-hundredths of a point. And wow. was, that was the turning point of their season because they had this self-confidence like, hey, we got this. We got this. We'll own it. And um, so they just started They just started dominating after that. And um, they were just killing it at practice, at comp. They had this confidence. So um, it's kind of acquired Um the kids who um, are just starting off, especially if they're decide to start cheering when they're older, um, they're probably a little more nervous at times. It's gonna take them a year or two to really adjust, um, but they get more comfortable as they go. Um, really it's with coaching and it's the same way with teaching. Um, each athlete learns differently some people are visual learners some people you can just tell them one time and they understand some people need to do it for themselves um, so it's really just being able to um, identify how each athlete learns and trying to adjust how you coach for that specific athlete um, on each team so the team becomes stronger so
0: sometimes yeah, i really feel like
1: a therapist
0: <clears throat> yeah <laughs> Uh, I like how you said that, how, you know, you have to basically tailor your approach for each of your athletes. Um, One of our, one of my previous guests was John Rennie, who is a nuclear submarine officer in the Navy. And he's written uh, one and coming out with another book on leadership. And we talked a little bit about that, how there's no cookie cutter way, especially with these kids, because all these kids come from different backgrounds. Right. Uh, They all, you know, Maybe some different culturally, some different uh, religiously, um, some just sociologically. And so they and of course, the different personalities all mixed in that You know, they have, you know, the little unique quirks about them and the way that you'll approach them. Right. But one of my favorite things uh, that I'm just digging right now is the big average is the enemy in yeah. the background. Um, is that part of your coaching progress uh, process? Is that something you try to instill into the kids?
1: It is, um, you know, I've been at this gym now, this is my third year. Um, so average, the enemy kind of came around two years ago. And, um, ever since then, they see me wear the shirt that says it or the tank top. Um, some of them got the shirts, their parents ordered it for them. Um, but. That's something that I, and actually, we've kind of really talked about all the coaches at the gym. Um, They've kind of adopted it as well, which is cool. Um, You know, I tell them, whether it's in the summer practice, whether they're getting ready to go out on the floor, you know, whatever it may be, I'm like, "You're, you're spending a lot of time here, okay? You're at the gym three, four, sometimes five days a week. Your parents are spending a lot of money how do you want this season to go? Do you want to have an okay season or do you want to dominate all season? Um, most of them understand that no one wants to have an okay season. Cause I then explain like, you can have an average season, but as you know, average, isn't going to get you anywhere. It's not going to set yourself apart. You have the opportunity um, for people to notice you and your team, but you got to collectively bust your ass to do it. So um Average the Enemy has kind of been um they they know um I you know I wear the shirt very often or multiple shirts very often um for Halloween one year um a handful of the kids dressed up as me so they drew on beards and everything and they did their own Average the Enemy shirt and stuff so that was pretty cool um you know they laughed about it and stuff but that meant a lot to me because it yeah you know it, well, it shows you're getting I through, them. Some, right? That yeah. was some type of impact. And um, so that was cool. That's I mean, that's why I enjoy it. It's not necessarily um, the winning. We do win a lot, which is nice. It's um, always good. When you take an interest in each athlete and you're str- not just trying to teach them to become the best athlete. But to be the best version of themselves. Because, like you were talking about, they come from different backgrounds. Um, some of them are coming from divorce homes, some single parent homes, some live with their grandparents, um, some rough neighborhoods, some, you know, all over the place. And um, if you can just, my goal every day is to instill some type of life lesson that they can use outside of the sport. Because one day their career, For cheerleading will be done most of them won't ever cheer in college Um, this is strictly through when high school ends they're pretty much done so if I can make some type of positive impact on them that later on in life they're able to to give that lesson to someone else like that's my goal every single day that I go to the gym Um, and because I think that's that ends up being the reason why they end up being so successful year after year. It's not that I'm trying to make them the best team. It's trying to get them to be the best individual, which makes them the best team.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, you know, when you were talking about how, you know, some of them come from divorced homes, living with grandparents, rough neighborhoods, I'm extremely impressed with anyone who will take the time to be a constant entity for those kids in their community. Excuse me. You know, that's the one thing that they need. And you know, you're coach Joe, but there's a lot of kids out there. You're the only real constant they have their team is the, their teammates are the only real constant that they have. And so while we're living in this age of, you know, broken homes and single parent homes and just a complete lack of consistency and really kind of a sliding scale of, you know, a lack of values or virtues in a home. And then these kids get to come outside of that and they get to go to something like what you do and they're in know on your team or on a team like yours. You are standing in as a positive male role model. Right. For all of these young girls, and I'm I'm sure you have some young boys on the team as well.
1: Yeah, on occasion,
0: yeah. Okay, but that's not a role to be taken lightly. Where you're at, you are, if you're if you're going to be a consistent part of these kids' lives, these young these young women's lives, you've got a big pair of shoes to fill. As far as you have to show them exactly how a good man is going to behave and interact and And almost like, like a foster father figure to these kids. Right.
1: I agree. It is, um, when you put it that way, I don't think of it that way. Like I don't put the pressure on myself. Um, I guess that's just because I'm striving to get better every day. So I strive to get my coaching better every day, which is going to help them in return. Um, but yeah, like this, um, the whole sport and it it doesn't have to do just with cheerleading could be any other sport and having a a constant positive role models in there. I mean, I think it really saves kids lives. Um, Oh, definitely. We had um, one girl who's had a, she's had a rough childhood and her dad recently died of an overdose. Uh, And um, she goes, cheers. The only thing I got. And it's like it, that hurts to hear, but you're happy about it because she's, you know, around her friends, she's around, um, you know, her teammates and they're all supportive of her. So, um, sorry, that was, that was hard to talk about.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that hit me,
1: (laughs) but like, that's, I mean, she's been cheering. I don't know how many years, I mean, at least for the three years I've been there and like, she's always been a good kid. Um, You know, she probably has some issues that, you know, she's not going to talk to me about being a a guy, and that's fine. Of course. um, You know, when cheer is what she looks forward to, because that's the constant in her life, um, I feel like it's my responsibility to make sure I'm constant in what I'm trying to promote and what I'm trying to do. Um, And all the other coaches are on the same page. It's not just me. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, going to make a hard pivot here. Uh, so I've noticed you guys have uh, won a couple of big competitions recently. Yep. And uh, those were, what, the Nationals, right?
1: Yeah, so you have different competitions that are considered Nationals. Um The big competition at the end of the year is for teams one through five. Um, It's called the summit and that's in Florida at Disney world. And then for levels six and seven, it's called worlds. And that's the same place. Disney is just different weekends. All right. Um, And so really the goal during the season is those competitions you have to get a bid to. Um, So essentially you've got to um, depending on the, if it's a one day or two day competition, you need to either win your division and get the highest score out of all levels, or um, you need to be placed in a, a certain rank um, by the end of two days. Um, That's the goal for all of our teams that are eligible is to try to get them to summit. And we had two teams get bids this year. So that was exciting. Um, Unfortunately, we're not going to get to compete. um, But um, yeah, we, we're not going to say that Cubs. word.
0: We're not going to say that word on this episode. Yeah. I don't we're, know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but the last competition we were at was in Washington, DC. Um, it was a battle at the Capitol and we had two teams win that competition. That was a big national event. Um, you know, one team had s- I I think they had five or six teams in their division mine team they had I don't know six or seven something like that and um, they just went out and dominated like they just killed it like I had I you know I talked with the other coach um, I said we're gonna go win this this weekend I'm like I'm not worried about it um, obviously you get a little nerves walking out when they're about to go but warm-ups were going smooth they were confident they knew what they needed to do and they went and did it and um watching them win um and get announced as first and seeing the excitement on their face like i don't care about like getting the jacket because i don't wear them anyway unless it's the gym. but like seeing their excitement because they've accomplished a goal that they had that that means the world
0: well yeah that's proving to them and them being able to prove to themselves that that kind of victory is possible because yep. of the work they put in. Yep. Now, outside of the uh, the cheering thing, you are you're like a master of side hustles. Um one of your one of my favorite things that you've got is the art of flipping. And yep. everybody thinks flipping is all all about, you know, flipping houses because that's all you see is on like HGTV or you know things like that. Right. But you take it up and you'll buy and sell the exact same item on the exact same day for a freaking markup. And you're just, you're making your living that way. How did you get into doing that? And what led it to being something that you're actually doing to, you know, pay all of your bills? I, um,
1: you know, a couple of years ago was when I found like this whole corner of Twitter. Um, I you know, I came across like Ed Lattimore and, um, Brian Sharp, and a few other people, and at the time, I'd started a new job, um, but I was living paycheck to paycheck, I had some credit card debt, and I was like, I got, you know, I'm watching all these people, like, talk about increasing your income, but at the time, I I was working, and I was coaching five or six days a week, so I was putting in, you know, depending on the week, 60 to 75 hours a week between the two, And I was like, I need to make, I don't want to get a third job. There's no way I'm doing that. Um, But I want to do something that I can make some money on the side and just use that and pay off debt. So I was like, you know, I used to flip stuff in, in high school, like baseball cards or college, you know, when I wanted beer money. So I was like, you know what, I should just start doing that again. And so... You know, I just started doing that in my spare time. Like, if I had to coach Saturday mornings, I would wake up early, hit up yard sales beforehand, find stuff that I could flip before I go coach. And then when I got done, I would hit up anything that was still going on. And then I'd list it later, whether it was on eBay or or Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist. And um, I just started doing that. And um, I eventually paid off my, I was about $8,000 in credit card debt in about four months. So um, I was doing pretty well. And um, at the time I realized that not a lot of people were talking about it Um, on this side of Twitter, maybe on other sides they were, um, but I was like, you know, I'm gonna put this course together and you know, if people are interested, great. If not, you know, at least I created something. That was my first step into like creating something that I thought provided value. And so I released The Art of Flipping January 25th of last year. And um, it's kind of blown my mind um, how many people interested and actually purchased it and like getting, you know, messages from people saying, hey, got your course, loved it. This is what I'm doing. Um, So that was really exciting. Um, And that kind of started this whole side hustle make money online, find e-products, do affiliate marketing, that type of thing. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. I love it, so.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny you said you, you started it, you released it January 25th of 2019. I joined Twitter January the 19th, 2019, so. I remember right we in- talked
1: actually, You did, we were DMing back and forth because you were talking about at the time or maybe it was a few months later about, you know, dropping your brand. I was like, dude, just go for it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know how to start a brand, but just go for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I believe it, yeah, January, February, and about mid March I was priming everything up. Uh, I had my product. I had everything done. I think I, maybe even shot you some mock-ups of which which looks better on these labels you know what do you think yeah you know i know i did that with hunter that's actually how he and i became friends but um no march 23rd was when i finally went live with pre-orders right and then a week after that it was just balls to the wall and it's been insane ever since yeah but the only coach joe i know is the coach joe you know of the art of flipping coach joe yeah you know because as soon as i hopped on you know five days later you dropped your course and that's all i've ever known right so it's been crazy watching uh the growth that you've had with it i've never outside of maybe a handful of others you know like ed Lattimore and those guys um aj cortez those guys courses you know they they sell like oxygen yeah they do yeah and the art of flipping is doing the same thing i i I've, I've seen it grow so fast and just so many people you know hey i got this course and they're showing results So they got receipts buddy like right. look what i did look what i sold look what i bought and flipped and resold and people are literally you know changing their changing their station in life because they're not, they don't have all this pressure on top of them. You know, I'm not going to get this bill paid. I got this other payment to make. I mean, you're, you definitely added value when you brought that course onto the market. Right. It's really cool to watch. It is. And you
1: know, don't get me wrong. I enjoy, I mean, I'm not going to ever complain about making money online and Twitter because it's, it's like, it's a life hack. Let's be honest. It's, It's a, it's a hack. We've never had it so easy to make different sources of income. It's the easiest time in human history, but you know, I'm. I think why part of the reason why it's done well, um, because I'm very open with people. I'm like, you don't actually need this. You can learn, and you know, you've probably said it. I know I've said it a million times. Um, 90 or you know with most of the courses and and ebooks and stuff like that and how-to guides out there 95 percent of the information you can find for free yeah you don't actually need it um you know you you've got resources where you can find the information um the goal isn't necessarily to teach um something that's um that people don't actually know it's really just to open their eyes and say, hey, this is the potential. You don't have to do this, but here's the potential on what you could do with it if you decide um, to really go after it. And, um, you know, you've seen it, you know, people are like, why would anyone buy a course on how to do this? I can learn for free. And I'm like, hey, you know, why did you go to college? You got a, yeah. You got a business degree.
0: You could have learned that from the public library.
1: Yep. Granted, but some, I'm not. You didn't on know what. You, there's some good stuff, but.
0: Well, yeah, but the tr- the difference is you didn't know what you needed to learn, right? You know, so. I was actually just talking to, with my wife about that the other day. Uh, I can't remember what it was. I was trying to look something up, and I you just didn't. I didn't really know how to articulate the question to Google. Right. And so I'm trying to do all these generalized what. Well, Ask it this way, and I've got four billion pages of information, and I'm like, that's not what I was looking for. Right. So I ask it a different way, and you get another four billion pages of information. That's ah, not exactly what I was looking for. So the value that are in these courses is it cuts out the search time, right? You know, it it distills everything to the, you know it might've been one stream, but this is the only part you can drink. Right. You know? And so that's where the value lies. And yeah, you know what, if you want to go through all the, uh, you know, the trouble of hours of research and trial and error, go for it. I mean, everybody can do it. Anybody can. Yeah. But if you just want to, you know, see a part where the, all the fat's been trimmed off and, there's your finished product and start, you know, taking a drink right away. Right. Here, here's something for you because we've done the work. Right. You know, I've given out the recipes for, uh, all of rugged legacies products before to people who wanted to start their own businesses. The only thing right. I didn't give out was like the scent profiles. Right. You know, and those are copyrighted and trademarks. I'm not going to give those out anyway, because then right. I just give them to them and sue them for using it. But, uh, I mean, anybody can look up how to make it. That's how I started, you know, with my company. I just Googled how to make it so I could make it myself. And then I realized, hey, I'm good at this. I'll sell it. Right. Um, I think, you know, you're
1: gonna get like, the people are just super negative. The trolls, the haters are like, you know, they call you a scam artist and stuff like that. Why would anyone pay money for this course and stuff? You can get the information for free, blah, blah, blah. You hear it all before. But the thing is, and you know, I'm kind of this way too, sometimes you just need a little nudge to put a little skin in the game. Mm-hmm. If you put a little skin in the game, not everyone. Some people still won't do anything about it. But some people are like, okay, I put X amount of dollars for this. I need to get a return on it. Right. Um, You know, I've bought a – you know, I've probably bought – 10 different types of courses um over the past year um some were better than others but i learned something from all of them so i have no complaints i'm not the type of person to really complain about much anyway so um you know everyone's got something unique to teach and um no matter what people think there's really no competition all you got to do is just sh- shamelessly self promote yourself and continue to talk about what you want to talk about and be consistent and be genuine and, you know, be respectful to other people on the platform or whatever platform you may be on and, and connect. And, you know, you're going to get results eventually. Um, yeah, just most people give up too soon.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think our mutual friend, Nate, um, he has this thing, you know, where he he always puts it out there every every few months. Uh, don't stop too soon; you could be three feet from gold. Yep. Yeah, and you know, it was just the other day, which is what made made me think of it. But you know, just like you will with a course, you're going to get that distilled knowledge. You know, you're going to get distilled results over time. You know, yep. the the little results you get are going to compound. Yep but I did the exact same thing when I wrote my first book with Jose Rosado's course, uh, write your ebook in seven days. Yep. I had 20,000 words written. I had it formatted. I had it separated and everything done, but I wasn't ready to release it. Right. So I bought his course and I read through it in a half an hour. Right. Yeah, okay, I think I, I, I paid like 50 bucks for the damn thing, I think. Right. But I, I read through it in a half an hour and I went, okay, I can tweak that. Holy crap. I never thought of that. Holy crap. I can tweak that. Holy crap. Boom. The next day I launched pre-sales and I made 600 bucks in an hour. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Oh, well, there's my value back for that course because it had the teeny weeny little pieces that would have probably taken me three weeks to research and find the exact little piece that I needed
1: right? If you would have even figured it out.
0: Yeah. If I would have even figured it out, but all that distilled knowledge brought down into that, well, like 128 kilobyte PDF. Yeah. (laughs) You know, is worth every damn penny because the day I bought it was the day before I launched pre-sales and then, then I was completely finished with it two days after that and sold a hell of a lot more.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy the opportunities we have. That's why, like, I've recently started, like, a membership group. And I think that's something that a lot more creators should consider. Um, because when you look at what you potentially make over the course of 12 months with people staying in is, is crazy numbers. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I had the art of flipping. But I wanted, you know, some people would ask me, the, like, what types of items... Do you sell specifically? And for me, I will sell anything. I just have an eye for certain type of niches and, and things like that. But I was like, okay, well, what if I thought about like releasing some type of guide on here's what you could look for? But then I realized like sometimes certain months of the year, some stuff is going to be hotter than others. Right. And I thought, I know what's selling great for me right now it's stupid how fast it's selling. So why not? Um, why not release that to people? Um, they still got to put a little skin in the game. I'm not going to do it for free. Um, just because only a small handful of people will actually go do it. So I want people to actually have, I mean, I pre-release that 10 bucks a month, which there's other groups out there that charge two or $300 a month. So that mm-hmm. was a steal in itself. Um but I was like, all right, we're going to put a little skin in the game for people. And like, you know, I just released that last Wednesday. No. Yeah. Four days ago. Um, and like, people are killing it, like killing it. Like, you know, the ones who take the big action, like someone's already done over a thousand in sales, which is probably around five, $600 in profit. If I'm, um other people are doing a couple hundred dollars a day in sales um they're easily making their money back i expect four or five people to to do between 1500 and 2000 in sales over this weekend um and you know that's just what happens when you want to go get results you got to put in the work you got to have a little skin in the game and be willing to do what's necessary um just with anything else doesn't matter what you're doing
0: yeah. I, I completely agree. You know, and it's always rewarding, you know, for a while, um, Nick and I, Nick Lowry uh, yep. and I, we ran, uh, the unemployables where it was a membership group and we coached other budding and already established entrepreneurs into helping their business grow. We helped them with their ad campaigns. We helped them with their copywriting. We helped them with their whole niche selection, and even just getting off the ground, some some of them were looking for an e-com business, some for brick and mortar. Um, we didn't really get into the drop shipping part of it because it was just so saturated. But anybody that actually wanted to start a client acquisition, you know, business where it was either for a service or a product, you know, we started coaching to do it. And when you know we were, I think our, our membership was like. 50, I think it was start off at thirty to to get in early then it was like fifty bucks a month after that, yep, and it was fine, but when people started getting the results that they were after, they were like, You know, guys, this is great, but I don't feel like I need you anymore, right? That's awesome, yep, bye, I mean, yeah, okay, I'm losing your fifty bucks a month. I don't care right. it's cool, it's cool as hell that you were now a success story for the next guy that wants to come in. Cause I don't want right. you to be my student forever. Right. You know, and like, you don't want these people that are in your membership group there forever. You want no. them to be able to figure that out on their own and then go point to everybody else and go, yo, coach Joe's got it figured out. Go get in that group, get where I'm at. And then you can move on and tell other people. Right.
1: Exactly. Word of mouth is the best and I think, um, especially, you know, I'll get a lot of questions on like how to find a good mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you got to do your research, you got sometimes you just got to observe how they interact with people. I um, mean, if you're especially going to try to find one online. Um, the big thing is, and one of my mentors from coaching, um, you know, one day we were doing some staff training. Um, this is probably five or six years ago. And he meant, you know, he's saying something. I said, honestly, my goal is to be as good of a coach as you are. He goes, I don't want you to be as good as me. I want you better than me. And that's something right. that always stuck out. And so, like, when I tell people, they're like, man, I'm just trying to get your results on this. I said, no, no, no. I don't want you to get my results. I want you to quadruple my results. I want you to make look like you're the expert. I don't, yeah. I don't want people to be as good as me good as me i want them to be better and that's the same mindset i have coaching um i don't want them to be as good of an athlete as i was in baseball i want them to be way better than me and then i want them to teach their kids to be better like that's just how it goes well it
0: should be anyway you know i think we do see a lot of the uh people that will try to downplay what they teach so that their students never surpass them and they just kind of remain perpetual students. Yeah. You you see that that a lot, but you know, going back to what you said about trying to find a good mentor, you don't even have to let your mentor know that he's your mentor, right? You know, for the longest time, uh, Ryan Mickler of the order of man, Mm -hmm. uh, was pretty much my primary mentor. And I still look to a lot of the things he's doing. Right. You know, and he didn't know he was a mentor of mine until I had him on my podcast with the unemployables. Right. I was like, just by the way, just so you know, you're a mentor of mine. And he's like, oh, cool. Well, thank you. But like people who are looking for mentors think that's it has to be just kind of a one-on-one relationship. Not at all. Or, you know, where they sit down like you and I are talking over a face chat or anything like that. You know, you can be mentored just by watching someone the way they do the thing that they're doing. And exactly. if it's something you want to learn, just watch them do what they do and don't do what they don't do.
1: Right. Yeah, that's one thing is like, you know, I've had a couple different mentors, some that I've paid, some that I haven't, some that I've never said a word to. I've never commented on anything of theirs. I've never, you know, maybe I like a tweet or retweet something, but they would never know. Um and that, that's the beauty of it. I think, yeah, like you were saying, people think they need to have this one-on-one conversation, like a therapist therapy session. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a lot of free game that's taught out, not just Twitter, but YouTube and, um, you know, all sorts of different platforms that you can learn from, you know. I think my favorite thing about Twitter is I can log on and on my timeline, I can get fitness advice. I can get spiritual advice. I can get business advice, stuff about eBay, maybe something that's going to be hot. I can laugh. I can um, get upset if I want to. I choose not to. Um, I don't watch the news. So if I need to get a tiny bit of, you know, what's going on, I can get that. Um, And then I can log off and I'm good. Like I can get everything I need as far as trying to improve that one tenth of one percent every day yeah you know people just gotta be i think people waste too much time um you know i talk a lot about detoxing your social media and what you follow and i'm big on that because that's what actually helped change my life from just wasting my time to like hey i'm gonna follow these people because they seem motivated and they seem either gonna be successful or already successful in what they're doing so you know i'm gonna follow them and start doing little things that they're doing and see how my life changes and my life did a complete 180 so that's what i tell other people to do
0: yeah that's what i did uh you know i i really had to cultivate and curate uh who i was following because you know when you first join Twitter you don't know how to use it you just start following everybody and you've got this giant blob of just blah right at your face constantly and you're like I don't agree with that so I hate you I don't agree with yeah. that so I hate you oh you hate me well I hate you too you yeah. know and then you're and then you start trying to you know filter it out and clean up the noise a little bit but now if I follow you it's because I'm learning something from you Right. And so pretty much every single person, I think, I I think I follow like 240 something people, maybe maybe less. I don't, I don't know, but I'm learning something from each of those accounts. Right. Some each of those accounts that I'm following contributes some kind of valuable information that I can look at and go, Oh, okay. Different perspective. I'll try that. Or never considered that. I'll think of it this way. And you know, it's, so technically, maybe all 240 of those people are my mentors.
1: Right. And another thing is I tell people, it's like, don't follow, just follow people you agree with because you're not going to grow that way. There's plenty of people I follow that probably have different, that that definitely have different views on how to do things, what they're, um, you know, what they believe as far as religion goes or or politics like i'm not a political person but you know you can see kind of everyone's politics by the way of you know how they tweet and stuff like that Um, right there's plenty of people that i don't necessarily agree with um maybe what they say or what sometimes what they do but i they're challenging me to understand okay well they think this way why do they think that way yeah they got to they got to this point in their life because of a b and c what am I missing to maybe set myself apart to try to get to where they're at? I may not agree with, um, you know, their politics, but, but who cares? Like people get so upset over politics and what people believe in and um, getting offended. Like the most pathetic thing I see on social media is people getting offended by what people say. Like that is the most embarrassing, like I just, i laugh. I literally say, I feel sorry for you because you're that pathetic getting upset.
0: Yeah. Now that, that, people, this generation, I think it is, and maybe even some of the older ones too seem to have forgotten that old nursery rhyme about sticks and stones. Yeah. You know, but it's just a little bit of a regression of culture, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you can clean up that noise, too. And then if you don't feed the trolls, they don't grow. And,
1: you no, know, you don't feed the trolls. You just monetize them.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, if someone's hating on you, retweet it. Let everybody else see it. And then, yeah, yeah, that's the just, best part. Yeah, and then you or, just sub-tweet sub- 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 a course a right in there, and you gets a lot my of favorite. eyes on it.
1: Yeah, my favorite sometimes, you know, someone will call uh, – you know, get called a scam or a fraud or something like that. And you're like, all right, next five people use the code fraud, get 50% off, turn it into money. Yeah. Like that's just, you know, that's just, that's the fun part about it. And, um, you know, my wife isn't very active on Twitter. Um, she sees the following that I, that I've grown and she goes, well, how do you deal with like some of the negativity? And I say, honestly, I just don't care. Like, I just don't care. Like, I can't care less.
0: Right. I mean, I feel the same way because, see, I joined Twitter after my wife. Mm-hmm. And because she wanted to join Twitter to start pushing her blog because she does the stay-at-home mom stuff and right. tweaks about budgeting, tweaks about cooking and cleaning and crafting and DIY stuff. And then I joined after and started boosting Rugged Legacy and my own personal brand kind of mixed in with Rugged Legacy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then she sees, like, you've got 15,000 people following you and all these people are hating on you. Cause she'll tell me, she'll tell me this person tweeted something negative on your thing. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I'm like, I also have a nine to five, you know, in addition to, you know, my own company and not everybody likes me there either. And I've still, I've still been there for a year. So it doesn't change anything. Right. But I, you know, at the end of the day, I guess just, just do you you're going to attract the people that you're meant to attract because if you're trying to please everybody you're not going to be authentic
1: right and you know we've seen i know you've seen um people get you know it's one thing to get called like you know a scam artist by like one person some anonymous account and then you know who what what i'm referring to next it's another thing to get called out by like 40 50 people who got scammed by one person you know? yeah and so that's I'm not good i'm not gonna say that
0: person's name
1: yeah it's it's that's why it's 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 really about being genuine and being consistent with what you're trying your goal is like is it cool making money off twitter and you know doing affiliate marketing and stuff absolutely like i'm not gonna complain but i'm not gonna sacrifice um, you know, the following I built up by lying or trying to scam someone out of money just for the sake of money. Um, I don't think I'm the type of person where I don't think money changes people. I think it just amplifies who they actually are. So um, you know, I absolutely you agree that rich people are greedy. I'm, I say for every rich person you think is greedy, greedy I know 10 poor people who are greedy. Yeah, it doesn't matter um, the financial situation. Um, people are people are who they are, um, but you know that's why I think that's why I just don't believe money changes people. They may start buying nicer stuff, but um, you know they've always been that individual. I mean, obviously some little things happen and they change, but um, you know I'm making way more money than I did three years ago. I don't act any different, not to my knowledge. Maybe I'm a little more confident in some areas. I'm not stressed out financially, um, but I don't go buy. I didn't. I don't go buy a bunch of new stuff. I live pretty minimally. I try to put money away as much as I can for, you know, future kids and, and my grandkids one day. And um, you know, that's just how I've always been. So, um, yeah. Money didn't change me. It made life a little more enjoyable at times. Of course. But...
0: You know, nothing wrong with money. No. You know, name of the game is to make it, but yeah. don't lose sight of who you
1: are in the process of it. Exactly.
0: But, um, you know, it's hard to believe we're actually coming up on that hour mark now. That's crazy. And uh, so before we go, I just want to ask you, uh, what's something that... For everybody listening right now, if you have this one philosophical thing to just kind of leave people with, what would it be?
1: Uh philosophical thing.
0: I mean it can be jerseified, I don't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Honestly, it's really kind of um the moment my life started to change was me actually looking in the mirror in the mirror when I was getting ready in the morning and realizing that I was the cause of all the good things in my life and the negative and anything that was negative or that I needed to fix or wanted to fix was a result of either a being my fault or B how I reacted to a situation. So it was really just taking full ownership of your life. You can't always control everything that happens because there's some things that are going to happen. Um, you know, regardless, but you can control how you react to them. And sometimes how you react is more important than how you act. And um, so that was one thing that would be the big thing is really just looking yourself in the mirror. You usually figure out what you, you know, what you need to fix. Um, Most people just try to avoid it. They don't want to look in the mirror. So I encourage people to look in the mirror um, and, you know, take a good hard look. Uh, because they know what they need to fix and it's their job to fix it or they can continue to blame everyone else. So.
0: I like it. I'm going to make my kids listen to this part over and over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Uh, Joe, thank you for coming on the show, brother.
1: Dude. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I uh, really enjoyed it. I love doing this type of stuff. So.
0: Yeah. We're going to, have to do it again in the future when you drop your next 47 courses.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely.
0: All right. For those of you listening, you can support this podcast if you want by going to anchor.fm slash ruggedlegacy and click on the support icon. And if you don't want to, that's cool. You can watch it, listen to it. Um, You can check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all the major platforms and all the information about coach Joe will be in the show notes where you can get his course, the art of flipping where you can learn how to take everyday items from the yard sales and pawn shops and thrift stores, and then flip them, sell them around, sell them back on eBay or Facebook marketplace for a product. You can even buy one on Facebook marketplace today and, or this morning, and then sell it this afternoon for even more to somebody else. Just just using it, use it the same photos if you want. But uh, all the information where you can get the nice little tweaks and tricks will be in that course. i will be information on where you can find and follow Joe, which is at Coach Joe Hart on Twitter. And that's gonna be it for this one. So thank you for listening to the 16th episode of the Rugged Legacy Podcast. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a rugged legacy production.